Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. So our podcast is called Right and Wrong. Are these your notes? These these your notes about what we're going to say? Anything. It's a short answer. (laughs) So how many novels did you not finish? Oh my God, so many. (laughs) It was perfect. What are you talking about? This is nonsense. Ooh, a spicy question. I love it. (laughs) This is it, guys. The big secret to getting published is you have to write a good book. (laughs) You heard it here first. (laughs) Hello, and welcome back to the Right and Wrong podcast. As always, I'm Jamie, and joining me today is the one and only editor at Chicken House and author of two of her own novels, Kessia Lupo. Hey, Kessia, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you for having me on. (laughs) It's my absolute pleasure. I I didn't really know where to start with you because you're sort of prolific in publishing now. Uh, Let's start with where storytelling began for you so like when did you know you wanted to be part of writing and and publishing well that's an interesting question in a way because I feel like for many people and for me too you're a reader before you're anything else and before you really understand where um, books come from and that there is a whole industry behind them you know I remember being absolutely voracious reader from a really really young age um, and also I, I did write from a young age too. I remember winning a poetry competition when I was nine and the mm, prize was the first Harry Potter book. Like, so it was kind of like <laughs> one of those things where like, uh, you know, I, I just, it just kind of went hand in hand as long as I can yeah. remember. Um, the first time I really became aware of like the publishing industry was actually probably at university. So I would have been like in my late teens. Um, and I had a friend there called Natasha Pulley, who's now really best selling famous author in the adult mm-hmm. market. And she was already like super clued up about sort of everything in the whole industry. And that was kind of my first insight into it, really. Um, before then, I'd just been like writing for fun, pretty much. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you you did you did you did a history at university, right? I did, yeah, yeah. So completely unrelated, <laughs> and I kind of thought I was going to be um, an academic, actually, and you know that was what I I I kind of peaked academically in my A levels, and uh-huh. um, then when I got to uni, I was like, actually, I'm not that smart compared to the other people here. So <laughs> um, I was not like absolutely acing everything um, as I'd used to. And I kind of um, just kind of realized that that wasn't the kind of mind that I had. Actually, I was more interested in, you know, the stories um, surrounding history and like, you know, history is basically just like uh, people gossiping about dead people. And like, that was (laughs) kind of what I liked about it. So and then coming at it from that angle, it was so obvious that I wasn't supposed to be an academic. So, yeah, I had to think of something else. and, And this was sort of what I stumbled onto. Okay. So what was your, what was your sort of trajectory going through publishing? Where did you, where did you first get your foot in the door? So, uh, so after uni, when I I had absolutely no idea what to do, basically, I thought, well, heard about publishing industry and specifically about writing. I'd love to be a writer. I had written some 
um, sort of books, I guess, <laughs> like really, really bad, like word documents on my, uh, my laptop. Oh yeah. 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 We've all got those stashed away. Oh yeah. We all have these like, <laughs> yeah. I mean, epic, you know, 100,000 word, terrible, terrible <laughs> teenage fantasy type things. Um, so somehow I managed to get onto a creative writing MA. So it was actually kind of through the MA that I started to become a, more aware of like what the publishing industry was like. And I didn't realize I was writing YA at the time. In fact, I was writing something completely, um, well, quite serious and historical and, you know, like sort of what I thought I ought to be writing. Mm. Um, but it was through like submitting that book and failing to get an agent and everything that I started thinking, well, I like, you know, workshopping other people's books and I like talking about other people's work. So maybe I should look into trying to get into publishing um, so I did uh, probably about a year of just like working for free in London for various wow. uh, like publishers. And uh, yeah. there was one in particular called Hearst, which mm-hmm. um, is like a nonfiction um, political kind of publisher, very, very small. And I worked there for like six months. Um, and then I worked for the Eve White Literary Agency for a couple of months. Oh, yeah. um, I did like a little internship at Penguin Um and like, yeah, so it it was kind of like a year of just putting myself out there. And off the back of that, I got um, my first job, which was at Pam Macmillan, working in the, um, basically working for like Tor and Picador as like in what we call editorial management, which is uh, so complicated, but like they separate <laughs> out <laughs> editorial into like the people who commission and buy the books and work on them in those early stages and then what they call uh, editorial management or editorial services, which are like they hand them over. So you manage like the copy edits and the proofreads, which are basically smoothing out the manuscript ready for printing. So that's where I started as an assistant in in that kind of division. Right. So, yeah, very different from what I do now. Um, yeah. And, yeah, I kind of after it was... It was sort of like just a geographical thing, to be honest. I was looking for publishing jobs back where I'm from, which is the southwest of England. Happened to stumble across a job for a junior editor position at a children's publisher called Chicken House, which, to be honest, I'd never heard of. (laughs) And then (laughs) I just thought, well, might as well try. And, you know, amazingly, I, I still can't believe it, got the job. And here I am seven years later, almost. So, yeah, yeah, Yeah. it's, it's been a different very different kind of world from where I started but yeah that's the general trajectory yeah I mean it's it it sounds a bit um a lot of hard work at the start and then sort of just just grinding and and then and then sort of almost accidentally but kind of on purpose ending up somewhere where you seem to be really thriving and enjoying it yeah absolutely I mean this is a great job and like the beginning yeah it was hard but you know I had the the luck and privilege really to have um, an aunt who lived in Middlesex, which is commutable just about into (laughs) central London. So I was living rent free and I was able to like, you know, do it basically, um, which a lot of people don't have. So yeah, it's something I've become peripherally aware of. Like the more I've worked through publishing, it's just how difficult it is to actually get those opportunities that Mm. I had. Um, but it was, yeah, it was hard graft, not much money. Um, living in London, once I got the job, was just like, oh, my God, absolutely insane. Um, <laughs> I don't know how anyone is expected to live on, you know, 18000 a year in central London. Yeah, in, in London, like, it's crazy. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> 
So through that time, were you always writing? Yeah. So um, actually, I kind of stopped after I did the first book and failed to get an agent. So like I said, it was this adult historical, you know, adventure drama kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And it was just, it obviously just wasn't quite right for the market. Um, I did get a near miss with an agent who basically was like, I'll take you on if you um, you sort of rethink it in this whole way and do a kind of like, um, it was kind of like a series idea. And I just, yeah, I couldn't do it. I was just like, no, it's not for me. I don't think this is the right thing. Yeah. Um, and then after that, I just thought I'll, I'll focus on my publishing career and just set it aside. And then while I was at Pam Macmillan, there was a group of us there who were doing NaNoWriMo, um, oh, yeah. National Novel Writing Month. Um, and I started writing again for that, basically. Um, and I've never, like, just to say, never, ever completed Nano, NaNoWriMo. Like, <laughs> I, I probably get halfway, but that's yeah. still like a lot of words. Yeah, uh, but yeah, that yeah. was kind of the very, very first draft of the book that eventually did get the publishing contract. Was that We Are Blood and Thunder? Yes, that's right. Mm, um, okay. It was a long journey after that. So that would have been in 2013 and it didn't get picked up until 2017 or published until 2019. So, yeah, so it's quite a long process for that book. But, yeah, it was, I was writing it and working on it and rewriting it all through that time. Um so, and going yeah. through the traditional submission process, I presume, as well. Yeah, more or less. Um, the, when I did actually get an agent, it was a little bit through the contacts I had at the publisher. So mm-hmm. I shared I shared it with one of my sort of fellow interested in writing type people there. And um, she happened to be an assistant editor um, who knew Veronique Baxter, who's my agent now and said this might be her kind of thing but the funny thing was I submitted it to the agency sort of general submissions pile yeah and which is what I had to do and had to put like for the attention of Veronique um and really weirdly so the next day I got a rejection from the general uh inbox and then and I thought oh gosh that's really depressing like she didn't even look at it she just rejected it and then the next day I got an email from her saying this is really interesting like can we talk so that just goes to show that like you know obviously there was an assistant or someone managing that inbox and then Veronique separately looking at it and those two people had completely different reactions like the rejection was like it's so generic like we get so much of this type of thing sorry it's just not for us and then Veronique was like this is really different it's really interesting and it, it just goes to show doesn't it it just reminds you how subjective the whole yeah, thing is absolutely yeah. so that was we are blood and thunder that's the, your your first book that yes. you got the agent with and uh the deal the publishing deal as well that's right was that a two book deal and subsequently your second book we are bound by stars did that come out on the as a two book deal it did yeah yeah so okay. that was straight off the bat which was is really valuable and nice to have as a first time author because you know yeah. that you've got a second chance sort of in the yeah. bag <laughs> yeah exactly and they're not um i love fantasy and this is something that a few fantasy authors that i've read have done they're not sequential but they are set in the same world do you yes. prefer writing standalone sort of open and closed stories 
I think it came naturally to me that way. Um, I'm not sure if it's because it's not a preference for my reading tastes. Um, yeah. I read loads of really big fantasy series and love them. Yes, um, me too. <laughs> yeah, I just I, I love all of that. I think it's to be honest, it's like something to do with um, writing this particular story where I just felt like I had a very um, clear arc for the characters and the world. And like, mm. actually, I mean, I don't want to give any spoilers, but it would have been <laughs> diff- difficult to carry on with the same characters basically right. yeah. after that. Um, yeah. So kind of naturally the next book just had to be, it's a new set of characters, a new location. You could absolutely read it as a standalone. So it's, yeah, I think it, it was kind of like having two linked stories that like enrich each other, but, are both standalone stories, which I actually find quite, as a reader, I probably would quite find that refreshing. Like there's a lot of, yeah. there's a lot of series, which I love, but also sometimes it's good to be like, I want to stay in the same world, but I also want something that tells about that, tells me about different characters, a different part of that world. And yeah. yeah. And also as a, as an author, I imagine you, you, you build this fantasy world with so much sort of possibility and, and, and so many elements. It's almost sort of a shame just to do one book and be like, okay, that world's done. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. I think you put all this work into um, building a universe that is, you know, that works. And then mm. to just do one book is, yeah, it, that would be, I, I think that's probably why you see so many fantasy series because, you know you you almost put in so much work so that you, yeah, you've got yeah, yeah. to yeah yeah you've got to kind of explore it haven't you yeah i love the way have you read joe abercrombie's stuff i've read half a king and absolutely loved it um but i don't think i've read any of his other books so he has the the first law trilogy and then he does a thing that's actually kind of so he has that trilogy which is a, three books which is a story and then the next book is set sort of 10 years afterwards uh and it involves like a couple of characters who were side characters but mostly new characters and then there's another one which is like 10 years on and it's the same thing and there's these three sort of spaced out books in the same world which where some characters come back and pop up and then there's another trilogy which is like way 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 later after the first trilogy so it's the same world but with like yeah. technology as advanced and things like that and i just think that's such a cool way to like so stay cool. in world yeah and i I mean, other ones, uh, examples like Robin Hobbs, um, mm-hmm. Farsia yeah, trilogy, yeah, yeah. and then the other two after that, like really, really interesting use of time and and character and, and all of that. And and Brandon Sanderson also does a really oh, amazing yeah. job. Um, <laughs> I know he's a bit, you know, controversial at the moment, but I love his books. He's amazing. <laughs> hey, I'm never gonna think. I'm never gonna think badly about him for no. releasing more books. You know. <laughs> no, no, I'm the same. I'm not gonna yeah. get angry. How dare you release this many books? <laughs> I am on that crowdfunder right now. <laughs> <laughs> that is insane, though. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna bring us back on to talking about you because I feel like we could probably talk about fantasy authors for the next two yes, hours. I think we so, could. <laughs> Was it strange, um, being an editor at Chicken House is sort of very core to the publishing process. Was it strange for you to to then sort of go outside of that with your own writing and sort of loop back around and come back in at a different angle? Yeah, it 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 is. Yeah, it's very strange and it never stops being strange because <laughs> I I become like the biggest hypocrite 
in the world oh. <laughs> like I'm like sitting there like oh my god my editor who's amazing um mm. it's taking so long to get back to me I'm really impatient like how can it take this long to read it and then I'm looking at my own inbox and realizing I've kept people waiting literally four to six months for comments on their manuscript it's just it, you know you just realize um it's more complicated than it looks um mm. and I think also just being edited um has been really eye-opening in terms of how I mean, you spin your passion into a business of Shopify and break sales records with the world's best converting checkout. Let's hear that one more time. The world's best converting checkout. Shopify's legendary checkout makes it easier for customers to shop on your website, across social media, and everywhere in between. Now that's music to your ears. Any way you spin it, you can be a smash hit with Shopify. Start your dollar a month trial today at shopify.com slash records spoken to other editors before and yeah. it's true that you realize you have to be more well as sensitive as you can be but also what I really have valued is just straight talk and like people just being like you know what this isn't working and we need we I think we need to do this and I think there can be too much sensitivity sometimes um but it depends on the author you know you want to sort of tread carefully for some perhaps especially if they're new but if you've got a really good working relationship with an author which yeah. me and my editor have with each other now as we're working on book three it's fine for you to just be like yeah I don't think this bit of the plot is working like you need to rethink that and also put the allow the author to do their work and like give them the space to do their work and don't be too prescriptive because I think my uh, instinct before as an editor was like to be very um, like su- give lots of suggestions and be like oh you could do this or you could do that but sometimes it's better to just raise the question and let the author come up with the answers that fit with their kind of imagination so yeah I've learned so much from both sides of it really um, it really has like enriched my whole experience of um, both being an author and an editor yeah I mean, since we've already brought him up and Naomi will tell me off because she, she's always like, stop bringing up Brandon Sanson for everything. But <laughs> Brandon Sanson does a great series of lectures on YouTube. And one of them is about, um, it, it's about being in a critique group and, and how to give effective critique. And I always remember, I think it's so valuable and I always try and apply it to when I'm working with my friends who are writers and things like that, where he says, try not to make too many suggestions unless they're specifically asking for it try to just Mm. raise questions as you said because as soon as you start saying this could be done another way or like what you're really saying is I would have done it this way and you're not writing that story (laughs) that's exactly it and I think you know editors I think people think of us sometimes as like all-knowing you know kind of powerful like we have the power to do whatever we want with your book and like we're gonna like shut the gates to you or open them like you know it's not really like that we're all just learning all the time about how to do this very um kind of specific personal like yeah um odd job in a way um and like yeah i i've learned i don't know i've learned obviously from uh from my superiors in the company so like Barry and Rachel, who are the editors that are above me and who, when I started, sort of acquired all the books and I would sort of work on them. Mm-hmm. But I've also learned a lot just from authors because I think, you know, you you can have the wrong instinct sometimes. And I have led people in the wrong direction and we have had to backtrack. 
And I think just learning that, like, you know, you are just as fallible as they are and you're just giving your honest opinion almost as a just as a reader sometimes. Yeah. Um, and that that can be wrong and that that can you know, lead you astray. And, you know, it's, it doesn't often happen anymore. I think that I've got better and better as I've gone on, luckily. Um, but, but it's, it is a learning process and we're not infallible and we're not all powerful. And it is very much teamwork. You know, that's what I found from the other side. It's like having someone on your team who cares about you and your writing, Yeah, uh, which is amazing. Yeah. 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 Cause it's you as an editor and the authors that you're working with, that's a that's teamwork you're not against them which i get yeah some people, exactly think, perceive it that way you're not yeah you're not there saying no you have to cut these bits this bit has to be this this bit has to be. It, it's how can we work together to make this thing better as a whole yeah and sometimes that may be you know i would strongly advise cutting mm-hmm. this bit but i'll always try and uh make it more of a conversation than a uh negotiation <laughs> i imagine a lot of the time if you make a suggestion of a change uh or if you say this bit needs work and then you and then you make it as you say a conversation the the two of you together will come up with something that's better than what was originally there and sort of fixes the problem and things like that yeah and often better than whatever idea i've come up with um <laughs> you know there's a lot of authors i work with like suggestions but they'll go mm. away and sort of you know naomi's one of these authors you know i will give her suggestions but she'll basically just go away and make it like five thousand times better um <laughs> and and that is the dream you know where where they're open to your creativity and creative input but it's like ultimately their book and they'll take ownership of anything that they uh-huh. take on uh, that's yeah. that's a dream author yeah, yeah 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 so you 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 touched on barry and rachel you said presumably they still do acquire a lot of the books that come through but yeah. are you also involved now in the in that acquisition process Yes, I am. Yeah. Since um, 2019, when I became senior editor officially, um, a, a little bit before that, I was technically acquiring books, but okay. um, but it's kind of who who writes the emails to the agents who negotiates the contracts. And I do do that now. Mm-hmm. Um, so Barry is uh, the managing editor. And for those that don't know, he was the editor who acquired Harry Potter back at Bloomsbury in the 90s. Um, and this uh-huh. was his company that he set up um in 2000 and rachel lyshan is the editorial director um so she actually basically me and rachel now do the same job i have i still have a bit more residual admin but um basically we do the same job acquiring and editing books but barry's more of a sort of managerial hands-off um he'll read along and give general comments um and sort of help with the editorial but he's not it's not kind of hands-on editing at the moment so yeah so it's it's a it's a really nice structure actually and it means that Rachel and I kind of just divide the list between us um and we both get you know loads of variety of what we work on so I'm working on everything from um younger middle grade with some illustrations quite short funny um all the way up to like top top YA um which is which is wonderful yeah I mean it's always nice to have that variation keeps things interesting definitely yeah and how do you approach the sort of process of going through the submissions 
That's a very good question. So we have a few different avenues. I mean, the short answer is chaotically. Okay. Um, <laughs> I've listened to like some of these podcasts and everyone's like very like organized. I'm like, oh my gosh, no, that's not me. Yeah. Um, but I Color guess it's... coordination tabs, <laughs> different piles. Yeah, it's, it's not happening that way. I mean, we have a few different avenues of how submissions come in. So we have agented submissions, which is, I think, standard across most publishers yeah um and those those are generally very very good quality um and i take you know we take them very very seriously but to be honest they're not the main source for us so we we keep an eye on them and we jump on anything that looks really interesting um i'm responsible for kind of receiving the submissions and logging them and saving them and stuff like that so i'll always have like a quick look um at the covering letter mainly. And if something sounds interesting, I'll send it on either to Rachel Barry or myself to read. Um, but yeah, a lot of a lot of um, weight on those rests on the covering letter. Right. And then the other um, avenues are our Times Chicken House competition, which is we run every year in conjunction with the Times. It's been going for something like 11 years now. Um, and that is direct from authors who don't have an agent. Um, and it's kind of seasonal work. So we have a, it's open right now and the deadline is the June the 1st. And then uh, we read all the submissions. Or we and a team of readers basically read all the submissions. And usually there's like, you know, 800 plus, um, sometimes, you know, over a thousand. Wow. Uh, so it, that, and that's more like, cause it's direct from authors. Like the quality varies a lot more, but um that's kind of a main source of most of our debut books, probably. Oh, like, yeah. And then the third avenue is when we run open submissions days. Um, and what we do is we um, offer people the opportunity to be mentored by us. So we're not offering a publishing contract, which is the prize for the Times competition. It's more like a foot in the door type thing where we'll like work with you to develop the manuscript with a view to eventually acquiring it um, right. and that has okay. been a good source for us as well we've just had the two that we did sort of discovered quote unquote in in 2020 have just been published the secrets act by alison weatherby and jimmy at the rivers river school by sabine adayinka um and they're they're both fantastic so we've yeah so we've got sort of i think being a small publisher we have to be a bit nimble with how we sort of find new submissions and new talent um so the emphasis for us is weirdly on more on direct from author submissions than you might think oh that is interesting yeah yeah unusual probably do many of the the authors who will come through that direct to you uh without agents after they've either signed with you or sort of had some sort of interaction with you uh or a successful interaction with you do they often end up getting agents or do they just stay unagented working directly with you? It varies. I mean, most people do choose to get an agent and actually yeah. part of the prize for the competition is um, we have an agent on the panel and then they will offer you representation. Okay. Um, but you don't have to take it. You don't have to take the publishing con contract either. It's just more like it's all set up for you so that you feel comfortable as an author um, there's an independent agent there who can check the contract and all of that. It's just kind of like, you know, you, you can take it or leave it. Yeah. Um, and yeah, like, I think we do have a few, um, 
who've come directly to us and stayed direct, but some of them then later in their careers decide to get an agent because they want kind of some another voice, you know, another mm. person on their team, essentially. Um, but it's, you know, it's pretty much with the competition, it's a standard contract. You know, we don't change it per winner. It's been the same for, well, we had it sort of updated, but essentially the same for a few years. It's quite a generous advance of £10,000. So yeah. it's 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 a good prize. And I think some people would rather not give away the 15% when they've sort of, in, in their terms, they've done the hard work of, of getting the contract. Mm. But it's totally a personal decision. You know, I have an agent, so I'm all for having that person on your team and having that advice um, and kind of overall career guidance um i think that's what you don't get if you sign direct with the publisher and stay that way because the publisher can only look at what they're publishing and you might want to you know publish another strand with a different house you know like you might want to write both children's and adult if you've got an agent they can kind of manage that whole process for you Mm. um so yeah anyway it's it in terms of the our our authors, the vast majority of them do sign with agents at some okay. point. Yeah, that's interesting. It's good to know. I mean, but yeah, as you said, it's very personal. As with all things in publishing and storytelling, it's it's unique and personal to the to the individual. Exactly. And everyone finds success yeah. in their own ways. So what advice would you would you give to writers at the moment who are sort of finalizing their manuscripts, getting ready to submit? Okay. Yeah. Good question. I think um, the covering letter is really important and the synopsis is really important. Um, And this is, I know that our um, sort of submissions guidelines for the competition pretty much mirror what most agents want. You know, we've got our covering letter synopsis and we ask for the full manuscript. You know, most people ask for the first three chapters but you know it's the same principle Mm -hmm. I cannot stress enough how important the covering letter is for me personally I you know if I don't get a sense of like this is different and special and really well thought out and really exciting from the covering letter there I I kind of instantly put it to one side in my mind so it's it's it, it is really crucial spend like real time honing that covering letter getting the comparisons right locating it in the market make your job as easy as possible for the agent or editor who's reading it having said that you know it's not the be all and end all we're not going to like hold it against you if there's a spelling mistake it's more about the idea and like you know the concept and ha- and where it would sit on the bookshelves and have you done you know have you done your reading it's not I feel like some people get really nervous about like, oh gosh, I've missed out a full stop um, or I misspelled someone's name. You know, mm. it's, I wouldn't hold that against anyone. It's more like, can you nail down what this book is about? Yeah. Okay. Have you, have you like really thought it through? Is it? Exactly. Is it, yeah. I got it. I got it. I got it. And, and another advice question, what advice would you give, uh, publishing hopefuls looking to break into an editorial role i think just um now that we're coming out of covid hopefully (laughs) fingers um, crossed yeah probably spoke too soon and next week it'll all be locked down again no please please (laughs) no (laughs) 
But okay. now that we're coming out of it, I think, you know, just be in contact with um, with people, show up at events if you can. Um, you know, author um, panels and events are useful to be at because the publishers are there. You know, always talk to the authors, talk to the publishers. If you can go to um, big events like Yalk, which is the YA literary convention, mm-hmm. um at comic-con that's also a really really great opportunity to meet people if you can't do that if you can't physically go and meet people just i guess just put yourself out there in terms of you know ask questions um if someone says they're open to questions on you know on twitter or social media or whatever um you know ask them just don't be scared i think just don't be scared of publishing people we all are very passionate about books and our jobs and we like talking to people who are also passionate about books and and want to get into this type of role so it's it's actually a very friendly industry and if you can just kind of make yourself known i think that's that's probably the the best thing you can do and it's still an industry that's quite reliant on kind of work experience and that kind of thing which is not yeah. so great but there are increasing opportunities paid opportunities um especially at the sort of big five publishers in London. But, you know, there's there's, there's lots of things out there now recognising that access has been difficult for many years. So I'm hoping that people who want to get into publishing today will find that it's more open and more, you know, accessible, basically. Yeah. You've just got to throw yourself at it, find every just opportunity throw yourself you at can. It. Yeah. yeah. And hopefully you don't have to work for free for a year like I did. But, <laughs> hopefully. You know. <laughs> hopefully yeah well brilliant that's great advice both to uh, writers and people looking to get into publishing and that brings us to the final question which as always is cassia if you were stranded on a desert island with one book which book would you take so i tried to do this very quickly and on instinct because i thought <laughs> i could fall into a black hole of thinking about all of the books I would take. That's sensible. And the, yeah, I know. I was just like, no, I've got to just <laughs> go with my gut on this one. Um, so I'm thinking because it's uh, you know a desert island, it's really boring. I'll want to like escape onto another world. Of course, it had to be fantasy. Um, yeah. Okay. The one kind of I don't know if this is uh, cheating, but <laughs> I had this bind up when I was younger of the Gormenghast trilogy, okay. which I read to death. And I haven't really picked it up since. So I think I would take that bind up or if I couldn't take the whole trilogy, I guess I would take book one. Um, But the Gordon Cast trilogy is so like intricate and like complicated and um, kind of heavy duty fantasy, but in (laughs) the best possible way that I think, you know, not having any distractions because you're just on a desert island would actually be the perfect opportunity to like dive into that world. Yes. Uh, is it a, I, I'm not familiar with it. Is it a hard magic system? It's not actually, but it's a, it's like a very complicated family um, oh, okay, okay. in a huge, like sprawling castle, um, loads of characters. Like it's kind of like a political, I don't know. Yeah. It's, it's, it's wow. really cool. Sounds I great. think it was written, <laughs> it may be written in the seventies or something okay. like it's quite it's relatively old is what i mean like for yeah. uh, you know it's not like a brand new fantasy trilogy yeah but yeah, um yeah. but yeah really classic like you should definitely check it out if you like stuff like you know game of thrones and all of that but maybe not so much the 
magic, then it might be perfect for you. <laughs> okay. I love magic as well, but yeah. 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 Well, it sounds like, <laughs> it sounds like a great choice. You've got plenty, a big cast to keep you company, lots of intrigue exactly. to, to keep you busy as well. Great choice uh, that will be added to the Desert Island Library. Thank you so much, Cassia, for coming on the show and um, sharing all of your experiences and your writing journey, both in the industry as well as your own sort of storytelling uh, with me and everyone listening. Oh, thank you so much for having me on. And for everyone listening, if you want to keep up with what Cassia is doing, you can follow her on Twitter at Kess Lupo or on Instagram at Cassia Lupo Author. Uh, both her books, We Are Blood and Thunder and We Are Bound by Stars, are available now. You can go get them. If you're wanting to submit to the Chicken House competition, uh, which is annual, it was currently open, head over to the Chicken House website and you can get all the submission guidelines and all the details there. To make sure you don't miss an episode of this podcast, follow us on Twitter at Right and Wrong UK and on Instagram at Right and Wrong Podcast. Thanks again to Cassia for coming on and thanks to everybody listening. We'll catch you in the next one. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. You need parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Auto Parts. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.